Chapter Eighteen of the Armourer's Prentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Armourer's Prentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter Eighteen. Pardon. What if, quoth she, by Spanish blood have London's stately streets been wet? Yet will I seek this country's good and pardon for these young men get Churchill The night and morning had been terrible to the poor boys who only had begun to understand what awaited them The fourteen selected had little hope and indeed a priest came in early morning To hear the confessions of Giles Headley and George Bates the only two who were in Newgate george bates was of the stolid heavy disposition that seems armed by outward indifference or mayhap pride he knew that his case was hopeless and he would not thaw even to the priest but giles had been quite unmanned and when he found that for the doleful procession to the guild hall he was to be coupled with george bates instead of either of his room fellows he flung himself on stephen's neck sobbing out messages for his mother and entreaties that if stephen survive he would be good to aldonza for you will wed dennet and there the jailers roughly ordered him to hold his peace and dragged him off to be pinioned to his fellow sufferer stephen was not called till some minutes later and had not seen him since he himself was of course overshadowed by the awful gloom of apprehension for himself and pity for his comrades and he was grieved at not having seen or heard of his brother or master but he had a very present care in jasper who was sickening in the prison atmosphere and when fastened to his arm seemed hardly able to walk leashed as they were stephen could only help him by holding the free hand and when they came to the hall supporting him as much as possible as they stood in the miserable throng during the conclusion of the formalities which ended by the horrible sentence of the traitor being pronounced on the whole two hundred and seventy-eight poor little jasper woke for an interval from the sense of present discomfort to hear it he seemed to stiffen all over with the shock of horror and then hung a dead weight on stephen's arm it would have dragged him down but there was no room to fall and the wretchedness of the lad against whom he staggered found vent in a surly imprecation which was lost among the cries and the entreaties of some of the others the london magistracy were some of them in tears but the indictment for high treason removed the poor lads from their jurisdiction to that of the earl marshal and thus they could do nothing to save the fourteen foremost victims the others were again driven out of the hall to return to their prisons the nearest pair of lads doing their best to help stephen drag his burthen along at the halt outside to arrange the sad processions one of the guards of milder mood cut the cord that bound the lifeless weight to stephen and permitted the child to be laid on the stones of the court his collar unbuttoned and water to be brought jasper was just reviving when the word came to march but still he could not stand and stephen was therefore permitted the free use of his arms in order to carry the poor little fellow thirteen years made a considerable load for seventeen 
though Stephen's arms were exercised in the smithy, and it was a sore pull from the guild hall. Jasper presently recovered enough to walk with a good deal of support. When he was laid on the bed, he fell into an exhausted sleep, while Stephen, kneeling, as the strokes of the knell smote on his ear, prayed, as he had never prayed before, for his comrade, for his enemy, and for all the unhappy boys who were being led to their death wherever the outrages had been committed. Once, indeed, there was a strange sound coming across that of the knell. It almost sounded like an acclamation of joy. Could people be so cruel, thought Stephen, as to mock poor Giles's agonies? There were the knells still sounding. How long he did not know, for a beneficent drowsiness stole over him as he knelt, and he was only awakened at the same time as Jasper by the opening of his door. He looked up to see three figures, his brother, his uncle, his master. Were they come to take leave of him? But the one conviction that their faces beamed with joy was all that he could gather, for little Jasper sprang up with a scream of terror. Stephen, Stephen, save me! They will cut out my heart! And clung trembling to his breast with arms round his neck. Poor child, poor child, sighed Master Headley. Would that I brought him the same tidings as to thee. Is it so? asked Stephen, reading confirmation as he looked from the one to the other. Though he was unable to rise under the weight of the boy, life and light were coming to his eye, while Ambrose clasped his hand tightly, chocked by the swelling of his heart in almost an agony of joy and thankfulness. Yea, my good lad, said the alderman, thy good kinsman took my little wench to bear to the king the token he gave thee. And Giles? Stephen asked, and the rest? Giles is safe. For the rest, may God have mercy on their souls. These words passed while Stephen rocked Jasper backwards and forwards, his face hidden on his neck. Come home, said Master Headley. My little Dennet and Giles cannot yet rejoice till thou art with them. Giles would have come himself, but he is sorely shaken, and could scarce stand. Jasper caught the words, and loosing his friend's neck, looked up. Oh, are we going home? Come, Stephen, where's brother Simon? I want my good sister. I want nurse. Oh, take me home. For as he tried to sit up, he fell back, sick and dizzy on the bed. Alack, alack, mourned Master Headley, and the jester, muttering that it was not the little wench's fault, turned to the window and burst into tears. Stephen understood it all, and though he felt a passionate longing for freedom, he considered in one moment whether there were any one of his fellow prisoners to whom Jasper could be left, or who would be of the least comfort to him, but could find no one, and resolved to cling to him as once to old spring. Sir, he said, as he rose to his master, I fear me he is very sick. Will they, will your worship give me license to bide with him till this ends? Thou art a good-hearted lad, said the alderman, with a hand on his shoulder. There is no further danger of life to the prentice lads. The king hath sent to forbid all further dealing with them, and hath bidden my little maid to set it about, that if their mothers beg them grace from good Queen Catherine, they shall have it. But this poor child, he can scarce be left. 
his brother will take it well of thee if thou wilt stay with him till some tendance can be had we can see to that thanks be to st george and our give king this good city is our own again the alderman turned away and ambrose and stephen exchanged a passionate embrace feeling what it was to be still left to one another the jester too shook his nephew's hand saying boy boy the blessing of such as i is scarce worth the having but i would thy mother could see thee this day stephen was left with these words and his brother's look to bear him through a trying time for the captain of newgate was an autocrat who looked on his captives as compulsory lodgers out of whom he was entitled to wring as much as possible as indeed he had no other salary nor means of maintaining his underlings a state of things which lasted for two hundred years longer until the days of james oglethorpe and john howard even in the rare cases of acquittals the prisoner could not be released till he had paid his fees and that giles headley should have been borne off from the scaffold itself in debt to him was an invasion of his privileges which did not dispose him to be favourable to any one connected with that affair and he liked to show his power and dignity even to an alderman he was found sitting in a comfortable tapestried chamber handsomely dressed in orange and brown with a smooth sleek countenance and the appearance of a good-natured substantial citizen he only half rose from his big carved chair and touched without removing his cap to greet the alderman as he observed without the accustomed prefix of your worship so you are come about your prentices fees and dues by st peter of the fetters tis an irksome matter to have such a troop of idle mischievous dainty striplings thrust on one giving more trouble and making more call and outcry than twice as many honest thieves and pickpurses be assured sir they will scarce trouble you longer than they can help said master headley yea the duke and my lord edmund are making brief work of them quoth the jailer ha with an oath what's that nought will daunt those lads till a hangman is at their throats for it was a real hurrah that reached his ears the jester had got all the boys round him in the court and was bidding them keep up a good heart for their lives were safe and their mothers would beg them off their shouts did not tend to increase the captain's good humour and though he certainly would not have let out alderman headley's remaining apprentice without his fee he made as great a favour of permission and charged as exorbitantly for a pardoned man to remain within his domains as if they had been the most costly and delightful hostel in the kingdom master hope who presently arrived had to pay a high fee for leave to bring master todd the barber surgeon with him to see his brother but though he offered a mark a day a huge amount at that time the captain was obdurate in refusing to allow the patient to be attended by his own old nurse declaring that it was contrary to discipline and what probably affected him much more one such woman could cause more trouble than a dozen felons no doubt it was true for she would have insisted on moderate cleanliness and comfort no other attendant whom mr hope could find would endure the disgrace the discomfort the alarm of a residence in newgate for jasper's sake so that the draper's gratitude to stephen birkenholt 
for voluntarily sharing the little fellow's captivity was great and he gave payment to one or two of the officials to secure the two lads being civilly treated and that the provisions sent in reached them duly jasper did not in general seem very ill by day only heavy listless and dull unable to eat too giddy to sit up and unable to help crying like a babe if stephen left him for a moment but he never fell asleep without all the horror and dread of the sentence coming over him like all the boys in london he had gazed at executions with the sort of curiosity that leads rustic lads to run to see pigs killed and now the details came over him in semi-delirium as acted out on himself and he shrieked and struggled in an anguish which was only mitigated by stephen's reassurances caresses even scoldings the other youths relieved from the apprehension of death agreed to regard their detention as a holiday and not being squeamish turned the yard into a playground and there they certainly made uproar and played pranks enough to justify the preference of the captain for full-grown criminals but stephen could not join them for jasper would not spare him for an instant and he himself though at first sorely missing employment and exercise was growing drowsy and heavy-limbed in his cramped life and the evil atmosphere even the sick longings for liberty were gradually passing away from him so that sometimes he felt as if he had lived here for ages and known no other life though no sooner did he lie down to rest and shut his eyes than the trees and green glades of the new forest rose before him with all the hollies shining in the summer light or the gorse making a sheet of gold the time was not in reality so very long on the seventh of may john lincoln the broker who had incited canon peel to preach against the foreigners was led forth with several others of the real promoters of the riot to the centre of cheapside where lincoln was put to death but orders were brought to respite the rest and at the same time all the armed men were withdrawn the city began to breathe and the women who had been kept within doors to go abroad again the recorder of london and several aldermen were to meet the king at his manor at greenwich this was the mother's opportunity the civic dignitaries rode in mourning robes but the wives and mothers sweethearts and sisters every woman who had a youth's life at stake came together took boat and went down the river a strange fleet of barges all containing white caps and black gowns and hoods for all were clad in the most correct and humble citizen's costume never was such a sight said jester randall who had taken care to secure a view and who had come with his report to the dragon court it might have been ash wednesday for the look of them when they landed and got into order one would think every prentice lad had got at least three mothers and four or five aunts and sisters i trow verily that half of them came to look on at the other half and get a sight of greenwich and the three queens however be that as it might not one of them but knew how to open the sluices queen catherine noted well what was coming and she and the queens of scotland and france sat in the great chamber with the doors open and immediately there's a knock at the door and so soon as the usher opens it in they come three and three every good wife of them with her napkin to her eyes and working away with her sobs then mistress todd 
the barber surgeon's wife she spoke for all being thought to have the more courtly tongue having been tirewoman to queen mary ere she went to france verily her husband must have penned the speech for her for it began right scholarly and flowery with a likening of themselves to the mothers of bethlehem lusty innocence theirs i trow but ere long the good woman faltered and forgot her part and broke out oh madam you that are a mother yourself for the sake of your own sweet babe give us back our sons and therewith they all fell on their knees weeping and wringing their hands and crying out mercy mercy for our blessed lady's sake have pity on our children till the good queen with the tears running down her cheek for very ruth told them that the power was not in her hands but the will was for them and their poor sons and that she would strive so to plead for them with the king as to win their freedom meantime there were the aldermen watching for the king in his chamber of presence till forth he came when all fell on their knees and the recorder spake for them casting all the blame on the vain and light persons who have made that enormity thereupon what does our hal but make himself as stern as though he meant to string them all up in a line ye ought to wail and be sorry said he whereas ye say that substantial persons were not concerned it appeareth to the contrary you did wink at the matter quoth he and at this time we will grant you neither favour nor good will however none who knew hal's eye but could tell that twas all very excellent fooling when he bade them get to the cardinal therewith in came the three queens hand in hand with tears in their eyes so as they might have been the three queens that bore away king arthur and down they went on their knees and cried out dear sir we who are mothers ourselves beseech you to set the hearts at ease of all the poor mothers who are mourning for their sons whereupon the door being opened came in so piteous a sound of wailing and lamentation as our harry's name must have been herod to withstand stand up kate said he stand up sisters and hark in your ear not a hair of the silly lads shall be touched but they must bide lock and key long enough to teach them and their masters to keep better ward and then when the queens came back with the good tidings such a storm of blessings was never heard laughings and cryings and the like for verily some of the women seemed as distraught for joy as ever they had been for grief and fear moreover mistress todd being instructed of her husband led up mistress hope to queen mary and told her the tale of how her husband's little brother a mere babe lay sick in prison a mere babe a suckling as it were and was like to die there unless the sooner delivered and how our steve was fool enough to tarry with the poor child pardoned though he be then the good lady wept again and good woman saith she to mistress hope the king will set thy brother free anon his wrath is not with babes nor with lads like this other one of whom thou speakest so off was she to the king again and though he and his master pished and pshawed and said if one and another were to be set free privily in this sort there would be none to come and beg for mercy as a warming to all malapert youngsters to keep within bounds nay verily quoth i seeing the moment for shooting a fool's bolt among them methinks master death will have been a picklock 
before you are ready for them and then who will stand to cry mercy the narrative was broken off short by a cry of jubilee in the crowd workmen boys and all were thronging together kit smallbones's head towering in the midst vehement welcomes seemed in progress stephen stephen shouted dennet and flew out of the hall and down the steps the lad himself exclaimed the jester leaping down after her stephen the good boy said master headley descending more slowly but not less joyfully yes stephen himself it was who had quietly walked into the court master hope and master todd had brought the order for jasper's release had paid the captain's exorbitant fees for both and while the sick boy was carried home in a litter stephen had entered the dragon court through the gates as if he were coming home from an errand though the moment he was recognized by the little four-year-old smallbones there had been a general rush and shout of ecstatic welcome led by giles headley who fairly threw himself on stephen's neck as they met like comrades after a desperate battle no one was there who did not claim a grasp of the boy's hand and who did not pour out welcomes with greetings while in the midst the released captive looked to say the truth very spiritless faded dusty nay dirty the court seemed spinning round with him and the loud welcomes roared in his ears he was glad that dennet took one hand and giles the other declaring that he must be led to the grandmother instantly he muttered something about being in too foul trim to go near her but dennet held him fast and he was too dizzy to make much resistance old mrs headley was better again though not able to do much but sit by the fire kept burning to drive away the plague which was always smouldering in london she held out her hands to stephen and he knelt down by her take an old woman's blessing my good youth she said right glad am i to see thee once more thou wilt not be the worse for the pains thou hast spent on the little lad though they will have tried thee sorely stephen becoming somewhat less dazed tried to fulfil his long-cherished intention of thanking dennet for her intercession but the instant he tried to speak to his dismay and indignation tears choked his voice and he could do nothing but weep as if thought he his manhood had been left behind in the jail vex not thyself said the old dame as she saw him struggling with his sobs thou art worn out giles here was not half his own man when he came out nor is he yet nay beset him not children he should go to his chamber change these garments and rest there supper time stephen was fain to obey only murmuring an inquiry for his brother to which his uncle responded that if ambrose were at home the tidings would send him to the dragon instantly but he was much with his old master who was preparing to leave england his work here being ruined the jester then took leave accepting conditionally an invitation to supper master headley smallbones and tibble now knew who he was but the secret was kept from all the rest of the household lest stephen should be twitted with the connection cold water was not much affected by the citizens of london but smith's and armourer's work entailed a freer use of it than less grimy trades and a bath and sunday garments made stephen more like himself 
though still he felt so weary and depressed that he missed the buoyant joy of release to which he had been looking forward he was sitting on the steps leaning against the rail so much tired that he hoped none of his comrades would notice that he had come out when ambrose hurried into the court having just heard tidings of his freedom and was at his side at once the two brothers sat together leaning against one another as if they had all they could wish or long for they had not met for more than a week and ambrose's finances had not availed to fee the turnkeys to give him entrance and what art thou doing ambrose asked stephen rousing a little from his lethargy methought i heard mine uncle say thine occupation was gone even so replied ambrose master lucas will sail in a week's time to join his brother at rotterdam bearing with him what he hath been able to save out of the havoc i wot not if i shall ever see the good man more i am glad thou dost not go with him said stephen with a hand on his brother's leather-covered knee i would not put seas between us returned ambrose moreover though i grieve to lose my good master who hath been so scurvily entreated here yet stephen this trouble and turmoil hath brought me that which i longed for above all even to have speech with the dean of st paul's he then told stephen how he had brought dean collet to administer the last rites to abenali and how that good man had bidden lucas to take shelter at the deanery in the desolation of his own abode this had led to conversation between the dean and the printer lucas who distrusted all ecclesiastics would accept no patronage he had a little hoard buried in the corner of his stall which would suffice to carry him to his native home and he wanted no more but he had spoken of ambrose and the dean was quite ready to be interested in the youth who had led him to abenali he had me to his privy chamber said ambrose and spake to me as no man hath yet spoken no not even tibble he let me utter all my mind nay i never wist before even what my own thoughts were till he set them before me as it were in a mirror thou wast ever in a hull said stephen drowsily using the hampshire word for a whirl or entanglement yea on the one side stood all that i had ever believed or learnt before i came hither of the one true and glorious mother church to whom the blessed lord had committed the keys of his kingdom through his holy martyrs and priests to give us the blessed host and lead us in the way of salvation and on the other side i cannot but see the lewd and sinful and worldly lives of the most part and hear the lies whereby they amass wealth and turn men from the spirit of truth and holiness to delude them into believing that wilful sin can be committed without harm and that purchase of a parchment is as good as repentance that do i see and hear and therewith my master lucas and dan tindall and those of the new light declare that all has been false even from the very outset and that all the pomp and beauty is but satan's bait and that to believe in christ alone is all that needs to justify us casting all the rest aside all seemed a mist and i was swayed hither and thither till the more i read and thought the greater was the fog and this i know not whether i told it to yonder good and holy doctor or whether he knew it for his eyes seemed to see into me 
and he told me that he had felt and thought much the same but on that one great truth that faith in the passion is salvation is the church built though sinful men have hidden it by their errors and lies as befell before among the israelites whose law like ours was divine whatever is entrusted to man he said will become stained soiled and twisted though the power of the holy spirit will strive to renew it and such an outpouring of cleansing and renewing power is he saith abroad in our day when he was a young man his good father so he said hoped great things and did his best to set forth the truth both at oxford and here as indeed he hath ever done he and the good doctor erasmus striving to turn men's eyes back to the simplicity of god's word rather than to the arguments and deductions of the schoolmen and for the abuses of evil priests that have sprung up my lord cardinal sought the legatine commission from our holy father at rome to deal with them but dr collett saith that there are other forces at work and he doubteth greatly whether this same cleansing can be done without some great and terrible rending and upheaving that may even split the church as it were asunder since judgment surely awaiteth such as will not be reformed but quoth he our mother church is god's own church and i will abide by her to the end as the means of oneness with my lord and head and do thou the same my son for thou art like to be more sorely tried than will a frail old elder like me who would fain say his nunc dimitis if such be the lord's will ere the foundations be cast down ambrose had gone on rehearsing all these words with the absorption of one to whom they were everything till it occurred to him to wonder that stephen had listened to so much with patience and assent and then looking at the position of head and hands he perceived that his brother was asleep and came to a sudden halt he roused stephen to say hey what the dean will he do aught for thee yea said ambrose recollecting that there was little use in returning to the perplexities which stephen could not enter into he deemed that in this mood of mine yea and as matters now be at the universities i had best not yet study there for the priesthood but he said he would commend me to a friend whose life would better show me how the new gives life to the old than any man he wots of one of the old doctors in barnacles i trow said stephen nay verily we saw him t'other night perilling his life to stop the poor crazy prentices and save the foreigners dennet and our uncle saw him pleading for them with the king what sir thomas more ay no other he needs a clerk for his law matters and the dean said he would speak of me to him he is to sup at the deanery to-morrow and i am to be in waiting to see him i shall go with a lighter heart now that thou art beyond the clutches of the captain of newgate speak no more of that said stephen with a shudder would that i could forget it in truth stephen's health had suffered enough to change the bold high-spirited active lad so that he hardly knew himself he was quite incapable of work all the next day and mistress headley began to dread that he had brought home jail fever and insisted on his being inspected by the barber-surgeon todd who proceeded to bleed the patient in order as he said to carry off the humours contracted in the prison he had done the same by jasper hope 
and by giles but he followed the treatment up with better counsel namely that the lads should all be sent out of the city to some farm where they might eat curds and whey until their strength should be restored thus they would be out of reach of the sweating sickness which was already in some of the purlieus of st catherine's docks and must be specially dangerous in their lowered condition master hope came in just after this counsel had been given he had a sister married to the host of a large prosperous inn near windsor and he proposed to send not only jasper but stephen thither feeling how great a debt of gratitude he owed to the lad remembering well the good young mistress stretfield and knowing that the antelope was a large old house of excellent repute where she often lodged persons of quality attending on the court or needing country air master headley added giles to the party at his own expense and wished also to send dennet for greater security only neither her grandmother nor mrs hope could leave home it ended however in perronel randall being asked to take charge of the whole party including aldonza that little damsel had been in a manner confided to her both by the dean of st paul's and by tibble steelman and indeed the motherly woman after nursing and soothing her through her first despair at the loss of her father was already loving her heartily and was glad to give her a place in the home which ambrose was leaving on being made an attendant on sir thomas more for the interview at the deanery was satisfactory the young man after a good supper enlivened by the sweet singing of some chosen pupils of st paul's school was called up to where the dean sat and with him the man of the peculiarly sweet countenance with a noble and deep expression yet withal something both tender and humorous in it they made him tell his whole life and asked many questions about abenali especially about the fragment of arabic scroll which had been clutched in his hand even as he lay dying they much regretted never having known of his existence till too late jewels lie before the unheeding said more then ambrose was called on to show a specimen of his own penmanship and to write from sir thomas's dictation in english and in latin the result was that he was engaged to act as one of the clerks sir thomas employed in his occupations alike as lawyer statesman and scholar methinks i have seen thy face before said sir thomas looking keenly at him i beheld those black eyes though with a different favour ambrose blushed deeply sir it is but honest to tell you that my mother's brother is jester to my lord cardinal quips and how merriman patch as the king calleth him exclaimed sir thomas a man i have ever thought wore the motley rather from excess than infirmity of wit nay sir so please you it was his good heart that made him a jester said ambrose explaining the story of randall and his perronel in a few words which touched the friends a good deal and the dean remembered that she was in charge of the little moresco girl he lost nothing by dealing thus openly with his new master who promised to keep his secret for him then gave him handsel of his salary and bade him collect his possessions and come to take up his abode in the house of the moore family at chelsea he would still often see his brother in the intervals of attending sir thomas to the courts of law but the chief present care was to get the boys into purer air both to expedite their recovery and to insure them against being dragged into the penitential company 
who were to ask for their lives on the twenty second of may consisting of such of the prisoners who could still stand or go for jail fever was making havoc among them and some of the better conditioned had been released by private interest the remainder not more than half of the original two hundred and seventy-eight were stripped to their shirts had halters hung round their necks and then roped together as before were driven through the streets to westminster where the king sat enthroned there looking utterly miserable they fell on their knees before him and received his pardon for their misdemeanours they returned to their masters and so ended that ill may day which was the longer remembered because one churchill a ballad-monger in st paul's churchyard indicted a poem on it wherein he swelled the number of princesses to two thousand and of the victims to two hundred will wary who escaped from among the prisons very forlorn was recommended by ambrose to the work of a carter at the dragon which he much preferred to printing End of chapter eighteen